everyone in the room sort of like big sigh. <sighs> yes, okay. And and what I realized is they were somewhat putting on a you know strong face for me. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. We were in the office for eight days and we had all moved into a new office. It was new for everybody to be in this particular space. It was a lovely office and we miss it all the time. That's Jen Grant, first-time CEO of Appify, describing the very short time she's actually spent in the Appify office. Now at home, running a company in a pandemic. Longtime listeners will draw a lot of parallels between you and one of my previous guests, uh, Crystal Beamont of Talend. You're both first-time CEOs. You joined companies just weeks before the shutdown. What has it been like not just running a company from your home, but doing so having really never spent all that much time in the office at all? Yeah, it is... It's really bizarre. I think as a leader, you haven't really established that trust and, you know, the camaraderie that you would normally establish in a, in an office environment where you're kind of going out for coffee or lunch or, you know, getting to know people on a more personal level. So that was certainly something that I had to consider very heavily as, as we went to this shelter in place in how do I connect with the folks on the team? How do I make sure they're all okay? Um, and one of the, the, you know, a big leadership moment for me was when I was nervous to say to the team that I was feeling uncomfortable and I thought we should all go home. Um, and this was like March 11th or 12th, I believe. And I brought the team together and I just, in my head, I said, we got to do this and sat them down and said, you guys, I think we all should work virtually. You know, let's, let's go ahead and go home. And I'm, and I'm sorry, cause I love hanging out with you, but I just feel what's going on in the world is, is much worse than we may have thought it was. And everyone in the room sort of like big sigh. (sighs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. And, and what I realized is they were somewhat putting on a, you know, strong face for me. They didn't want to admit that they were nervous and they wanted to go home. They were sort of waiting for me to make a decision. And I, of course, was like, well, I don't want to be this kind of crazy, you know, too worried about things person, you know, so I also was worried about how it would be perceived. And I think what I learned from that is, you know, they, they were feeling the same way as I was feeling and everybody felt better when we made the decision. And then of course, I think it was a day later or two days later, the shelter in place hit and we felt like, well, of course we did the right thing. I, 
Right. I made a Facebook post um, in which I had gone to Costco and spent about $500. And and I was almost embarrassed to make it because I sounded like, you know, the tinfoil hat guy, right? You know, that, hey, I think this thing might be kind of serious. Um, and so, you know, I, I to my friends, you know, maybe go buy some water and get your prescription medicines and, and, and that kind of thing. And I look back at it now and it was like, why wasn't I shouting from the rooftops? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I think everyone was going through this, like, am I overreacting? But like, it feels like I should go get some toilet paper. <laughs> I'll leave it to Jen to tell you whether she did that. But I can tell you one of her very first moves as new CEO was to secure more money for her company through an extension of Appify's Series A. Explain that to me. Series A, as you might guess, is one of the very first investments that VC make. But what's an extension? Yes. So the way we ran it is it basically kept all the terms the same. So if you're the CEO or a founder, it's much easier to get through the process if you say, here's the deal terms. We're just doing the same thing we did before, the same price, the same everything. We're just looking to make it a little bit bigger. So it's kind of opening up the Series A for more, uh, for more to be put in. Uh, and it, and it does, it makes it faster. It makes it simpler. You don't have long conversations around negotiating the terms. Basically you took the old agreement and said, would you like more of my company? Uh, would you like to purchase in more of my company? And, and in exchange, we need money. Yeah. And, and it started with Mayfield was the, was the main, uh, VC that funded us in the original Series A, it started with them saying, "Hey, do you should we go for a little more here? We're really we're we love you guys. We want to put more in." So it's it started. It was probably a safer fundraising than I could ever possibly imagine in the future because it was started with them saying, "Hey, we think we would love to keep putting money into to Appify because we see the opportunity that you guys are looking at." And you took it because you saw use in that, in those funds. Exactly. Yeah. We, I definitely saw we, you know, we are too small to really attack the opportunity as it's coming to us. And, you know, we need to put a little more energy behind, uh, behind our go-to-market function in order to make sure that we capture the opportunity. Some of the company leaders I've talked to in the past have said that raising money in a pandemic in a way is easier because there's less competition for time with venture capital partners. And how hard was it to raise money in a pandemic? I guess with them coming to you, not hard. Yeah, I would say because we started with the backing of Mayfield, the it, the stakes are much lower. So I was reaching out to uh, people that I knew, people that were had been previously interested um, and so there was already a camaraderie and a, you know, we kind of know you guys or we've heard of you or we know you, Jen, tell me what you're doing. So it wasn't as sort of dire, you know, we weren't worried too much because at the end of the day, we had the backing of Mayfield. So that certainly helped from an emotional standpoint. Um, I will say for uh, those who are listening that the bizarre advantage of the pandemic is that uh, VCs actually have more time because they're not traveling from meeting to meeting to meeting. So there's no travel time. They just pop on a, a Zoom and then they pop on the next Zoom. And so it felt a bit like uh, the more time wasn't necessarily that there were less people talking to the VCs. It's just that they weren't doing in person. And so they had more time to do Zoom calls. Less time in airplanes. 
Less time in airplanes, less time in the car. Yes, exactly. The founder of Appify brought you in is to be CEO. You hadn't been CEO before, but you have years upon years of experience, uh, CMO, chief marketing officer at some really big name companies. But he could have done the job himself. He, he chose not to. Why? Yes. And, and it, it's actually also the reason why I joined the company. Uh, so Hari is an amazing technologist. He was at ServiceMax for 10, 12 years, sold that to GE, just an incredible record of success. And he was told by everyone around him, you should be the CEO. You should be the CEO. You're doing a great job. And so he, he even told me, he said, for about a week, he said, okay, I will. And at the end of the week, he said, no way. I don't want this job. I want to focus on the product. I want to focus on the engineering. Um, I love those things. I don't love working with the banks or the legal or you know, all of the other aspects of the company coming up with a financial plan, uh, thinking about how, how do you sell? How do you go to market? What are the models we should use? He was like, I don't know anything about that. I know so much about product engineering and I want to spend my time doing the thing that I love. And then of course, you know, when I met him and we talked through how he felt about this, that was very compelling for me because the last thing I wanted was for my first CEO position to come with a founder that maybe the board had told them they needed a CEO mm, or, mm-hmm. you know, they had somehow not done the right thing at some point, which would have been a more awkward situation. And in this case, you know, we laugh about it. We joke about it. He'll say, ha ha ha, you have to read these legal documents and I don't, you know, <laughs> so, so it's really, really a positive, you know, a great relationship and, and the, you know, it sets me up for success as a CEO. <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What do you know now about being a CEO you didn't know even just a couple of months ago? You know, it's funny. There are these little bizarre moments that make me laugh. So when we did the funding, I got an email that said, what are the wiring instructions? And I thought, oh my God, I guess I'm supposed to know this. So there's some little things that, you know, I never had thought about before. Like, well, of course I need, they're 
giving us money. We need to give them the wiring instructions. So there's some little things like that. And then I think on the, on the, you know, the, the step back and think of the big picture as a CMO, I was constantly fighting for budget and headcount to grow the business, to meet my goals, et cetera. And as a CEO, you have to think about the entirety of the business. You can't just think about, well, actually, if I only had 20K more on the marketing team, I could do this campaign. You have to think about, well, let me balance that with, I do need a CFO to be able to you know, run the financials and the banks, uh, the banking and create the, the financial plan. And you know, there's so many other aspects. And then thinking about like, oh, do we hire a sales rep or do we fund marketing? And I found myself surprisingly saying, you know, I think, I think marketing's good. I think we should hire some more sales reps. And I thought, oh my God, I, who knew I would ever be having that <laughs> conversation where, you know, it's not all about marketing and headcount. It's, it's about the whole business and, you know, how do we develop a plan that balances? At the end of the day, we have cash, we have sales, it brings in pipeline, you know, we have revenue and, and this, the bigger picture of the business is, you know, probably a, a very different way of thinking than I've done before, but I love it. I just love it. It's been so much fun. Your marketing department must've thought to itself, oh, this is great. A former CMO, she'll know exactly. And then all of a sudden, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, she knows too much. <laughs> that, that may be it. I try very hard not to micromanage, but I joke with my head of marketing, I said, you know, I'm just going to do it accidentally and sometimes on purpose. And I apologize in advance and let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> you were at Google for a time and, and then your most recent company, Looker, was acquired by Google. So you could have returned to Google, uh, but you turned that down. I mean, a lot of people would kill to work at Google. What, what kept you away? Yeah, I could have returned to the mothership. Yes. <laughs> you know, I thought a lot about it. I, I know a lot of people that work at Google and I think they're amazing. Uh, and I, it was something that I thought, well, you know, I, I could probably be happy at Google for a while. Um, but I'll tell you a funny story. So we at Looker were invited to go to Google for a big event and it was sort of the welcome to Google and a bunch of people would speak to us and rah, rah, yay, we're all Googlers now. And I got to Google and I got lost in the parking lot. And I think that was a really important moment for me to say, I can't even figure out what building I'm supposed to go to. This place is so big. Uh, and it was sort of this moment of like, yeah, that is just not my thing. <laughs> and of course, you know, I was at Google a, a long, long time ago. It did not feel that big. Uh, it was uh, 2004 to 2008. So it, while it was, a big company. It did not feel as big as it, it felt today. And I think that was, was kind of that, that moment where I went, you know, <laughs> this may not be long-term my thing. And, you know, and that started my conversation in my own head of, well, what's next for me? Do I want to be CMO again? No. Uh, so what I really want to do is run a company and, and that kind of, well, and I should have conversations and that sort of snowballed into me eventually meeting Hari, the founder of Appify. Appify makes apps. And I think when people think of apps, they generally think of things like DoorDash. But a lot of apps are very enterprise specific. I need my employees to be able to track inventory or medical office workers, manage patients, that kind of thing. A lot of companies are really behind in doing this. Yes, 
Yes, I have been shocked as I sit on the phone and listen to various companies that we talk to. We will ask, well, what's your process today? Uh, And in many cases, especially when they have either field sales or field services that are that are out kind of not in headquarters at a laptop, but out in meeting directly with customers, many times they have manual processes still, which I found crazy. Um, but it's because, you know, business apps, it's moves as with everything. B2C goes first. There are amazing things that you can do with all of these you know, these consumer apps that you have, but on the business side, they're, they're slower to adopt. And uh, so we've really seen, you know, well, I have an Excel spreadsheet and then I get back to my car and I flip open my laptop and I type in things and then I PDF it and send it to the home office. And then they enter the data. <laughs> they, they print it out and scan it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, for someone in Silicon Valley in the tech world, it just, Oh my gosh, really? That that is so much extra work that you don't need to do. <laughs> Let's fix this. <laughs> now, it's interesting. I think coronavirus is probably moving this this along faster because employees companies are are saying, "Okay, well here's how you can work from home," but also employees are inventing ways to work from home and creating these sorts of these ideas. Yes, no, that's absolutely true. And I think from, you know, the majority of our customers tend to be uh, very mobile. So they are either, you know, going out to a customer site to fix the LASIK machine or, you know, some, some sort of, some sort of servicing that they're doing. And even more so it becomes important to think like, oh, they're, they're out there interacting with the world. Are they wearing a mask? How do, how do they interact with a customer and keep everybody safe? And so changing all of the ways that they do business is, is effectively what's happening, you know, across the world is, okay, how do we do business in a place where we're not supposed to shake hands and we probably shouldn't be passing a clipboard back and forth uh, and we need to be six feet apart. So there's, there's a lot of shifting that's happening in the, in the world that we, of course, we think we can help because creating an app with Appify is so simple um, and can be very specific to what you need versus, you know, something you have to get a developer to build and fix and make specific. Do you have any sort of metric or, or prediction as to when you're going to have your employees back? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's a really great question because uh, I live in Santa Cruz and I have four kids and three schools. And two of the schools are already talking about going back. Uh, end of September. And if, and my husband and I are just mind boggled by this idea that we're talking about going back to school. And per, perhaps we're a little over conscious about it, but if you don't need to, it doesn't feel like it's time. It, and it doesn't, you know, it does. Uh, and this is what I said to my husband. I said, there seems to be no advantage to being first uh, that I can think no. of. <laughs> And so that's kind of my theory with the company is there does not yet seem to be an advantage to being first. Um, and so I suspect we would be getting back maybe spring. That's sort of how I, I started to think about it. Um, we miss each other. I mean, that's for sure. And I imagine we may have sort of social distance get togethers or a couple folks. They don't tell me about it because I'm, I'm the boss, but uh, they'll meet in a park <laughs> And they'll say, oh, hey, it's so nice to meet you in person because we've hired, you know, a fair number of people over video. 
so there is it, there is a little bit of getting together happening, but I think you know more officially going back to the office, we w- we wouldn't do till the spring. No reason to be first. <laughs> Looking over your uh, social media, you're, you're not shy about your political leanings. Uh, you very much support Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and to be fair, so do most Californians. Uh, there are business leaders uh, like the leaders at Oracle who are not shy about supporting Donald Trump. Do you ever, though, think twice now that you are CEO about being vocal about your political leanings? And maybe there are customers or maybe even there are employees who disagree with you. Yes, I do think a lot about that. And I do think about um, what mediums I'm expressing my opinion on, if that makes sense. So, for example, on LinkedIn, it's much more rare that I might express an opinion that's that has a political bent to it. Um, because that feels like a more business platform and it doesn't seem as appropriate there. Um, but, you know, there's the like button and sometimes I'll click it. Uh, <laughs> so you <laughs> might, might see a little bit of that. So, yeah, no, I do think about it because I think, you know, we're already such a divided country and it's, uh, there is, there does not seem to be, um, not, there's not a shared reality or a shared piece of facts that we're all looking at the same way. So, you know, regardless of what we believe in, we're not even looking at the same world. And so it's very difficult to, you know, from a business perspective to, to sort of either have a strong opinion and force it on other people when they're seeing a completely, they're having a completely different experience than you are. Uh, And, and they very fairly could have a different opinion about how their state or their city or the country should be run. Uh, so it's it's an interesting balance because then on the flip side, from a marketing standpoint, I think brands need to take some stance on issues. Maybe not necessarily this election. This election is complicated, um, but on specific issues. So, you know, you've seen Nike takes clear uh, mm-hmm. positions on issues um, and uh, and that is the right thing for their brand. And so that you know we're a we're a tiny brand at this point. So I don't think it matters if you know we necessarily take strong positions today. But I do think most brands need to make a decision. Uh, that you know, uh, one example would be Black Lives Matter. Being neutral is not really an option anymore for a brand. People who buy care about what you believe in and what your mission is, and is it about supporting people. Um, is it about you know diversity, and that is something that it, at Appify, if if we were to take a position on something, it would be on diversity and inclusion, and um, we have a very diverse team today. And you know, one of the things I write about in on LinkedIn is is creating diversity from the start. I've been in many yeah. companies where you're 150 people, and then suddenly someone steps back and goes, "Whoa." There's not a single woman who is a manager on the sales team. Like, okay, you've already got a big problem. It's hard to work back from there. So you should be thinking about it from, you know, at our size, we're 43 people. So we're thinking about diversity right now and making sure that we do have diverse candidate panels when we interview. So that we're always thinking about how do we get different viewpoints, different peoples, different ideas, uh, and we can create something that, you know, we can be really proud of in the future. 
want to touch on the TikTok issue. As of this recording, the Commerce Department has said it's going to ban the download of TikTok and WeChat. This could have very well have resolved itself by the time we publish this podcast. But, you know, you're in the app business. I'm, I'm struck by something the Commerce Department is prohibiting, and I'm going to read here. The order prohibits any utilization of the mobile application's constituent code, functions, or services in the functioning of software or services developed and or accessible within the U.S. Lots of governments speak there, but I think they're in that prohibition about using code, there may be some First Amendment issues. I, computer code is, is written language. What's your take on that? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And, you know, when we, I've, in my experience, when a B2B company starts thinking about selling to the federal government, all of those issues start to come up where it's, where is the code developed? Who has access to it? Um, how, you know, are they an American citizen? Um, and I, and I, I do think it's, you know, as a startup thinking about the federal government, there's many moments where we just say, oh, forget it. This is, we cannot sell to the government. It's too difficult to have all of this. You know, you have to be an American if you can touch this part of the code and, and things like that. So, you know, my take would be it is something we need to be watching out for and making sure that this isn't, can't be applied more broadly to, you know, to all software. Because the reality is, you know, all of us SaaS app building companies, you know, we're all sort of in the same boat as TikTok. Everybody has a mobile app, whether they're, you know, whether they have a desktop app as well or they don't. Uh, and so that is, long-term going to be a very sticky issue that we're going to have to figure out how we collectively as Silicon Valley or as the tech community can respond to it and make sure that we continue to allow for innovation and allow for, you know, folks from who aren't necessarily American citizens to be working on the code, you know, those, those types. Well, of and things. you've got a very narrow funnel as well, because we're talking about, you know, for a great portion of it, what, what percentage of, of your apps are, are, are iOS that are going through the Apple store? I would say we have, we do have an Android app as well, but I would say probably sure. 70%. So it's, it's a majority. Okay. So 70% of the things that you're making go through a funnel that potentially the government could tell one company, don't allow that app through, uh, because apps are, are all have to go in Apple's case through, through their app store. Yeah. Would you prefer to see a situation where, where there's another way to get apps? <laughs> Well, I think if it does happen, if the government does have, end up having some sort of oversight or some sort of, you know, shrinking of the funnel through the app store, I think it'll happen naturally that there will come other places where people will put their apps. Because the Valley is innovative. We're, we're all a bunch of people who, you know, rules are, are meant to be used as guidelines and then worked around. So how do we, you know, how may, there'll be other companies that will start that will be how you get your apps if these kind of things start to happen. So I d it's going to be a very interesting uh, kind of what the sort of what happens after, depending on how this all falls out. We need to be really careful as Silicon Valley to, to have a better relationship with the government so we don't get this kind of confusing regulations that have these unintended consequences. Um, I think you know, when I, years ago, when I was at Google and, you know, we, I think in the early days of, of the internet, of the, of technology, we didn't 
think that much about how do we make sure that the rest of the country comes along with us with the innovation that's happening here. And I think we've gotten to a point in time where we can no longer uh, kind of exclude other folks in understanding what's happening and what it means and what does it mean that the code you know, when you're looking at a, at a piece of code, what does it mean to be secure? What does it mean to protect a user's privacy? There's, there's a lot of issues there that when you take them to DC, there's, there's not enough understanding for us to have an active and positive conversation to do the right thing and avoid these kind of unintended consequences. Circling back to the name change thing, uh, you were one of you know Silicon Valley's top marketing experts. The hi- the company that hired you was actually called Turbo Systems. You changed it to Appify. <laughs> How did that go over? You know, hey everybody, I'm the new boss, and guess what? <laughs> Changing the name. <laughs> you know, everyone was really excited about it. I think when I started. There was already a feeling that Turbo Systems was kind of a um, not there. A car parts, yeah, yeah. Well, no, exactly. And and we have so many funny stories about people calling us and asking about their turbocharger or something or other that they had bought. Um, and and we're a platform as a service, so we had the Turbo Pass uh, domain for a while, and we had people calling us about vacationing. So there's a company called Turbo Pass that has to do with. <laughs> Vacationing. So there was already a, a feeling of like, oh, you know, we sort of settled on this name and we love turbo. That means we're fast and agile and that fits. But turbo systems feels like, oh, you know, we had to stick systems on the end of it. So when we we sort of came across the Appify name, in fact, Hari, the founder, was the one who went, oh, my God, this domain is available. This name is amazing. Yeah, that's always the biggest question. Exactly. Do you have the dot com? And so he slacked me. Uh, it was super early one morning. And I said, oh, my God, that is the best name ever. Let's get it. Uh, and then we'll worry about the details later. <laughs> um, but what I said was, yeah, no, this is everything that we are. We amplify your existing systems by creating apps. And that's, you know, sort of the two words, amplifying your your business with apps and we're Appify. So we we jumped on it as soon as we saw the domain was available. And then we did the research to say, okay, what will the brand look like? And, you know, uh, how, how will this all work? And and then as fast as we could, we changed the name to get all the, the, the little <laughs> details of the name change out of the way. I've always thought one of the worst named Silicon Valley companies was a company uh, acquired by Cisco a while back. But, you know... Who do you work for? I work for a company. Yes, I know. Who do you work for? It's a, you know, it's a, who's on first? Yes, a company. Yes. Oh, if you're not going to tell me, then I, <laughs> in, the, <Yeah. laughs> in the recent past, we've seen um, Snowflake and JFrog and Sumo Logic start publicly trading. I was talking with the marketing folks over at JFrog because obviously my curiosity was piqued, you know, uh, and they said, you know, wh- where did that come from? And they said, well, the J is Java. And frogs, frogs are fun, uh, was the answer I got. And then somebody else answered basically the same thing, but tacked on, and we never knew how big it was going to get. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then, you know, right, when we uh, when we named the podcast Sand Hill Road, uh, you immediately know what it's about. Yeah. If you know what Sand Hill Road is, and you immediately have no clue what it's about if you don't get that reference. So as one of Silicon Valley's, you know, marketing gurus, give me give me your opinion on the idea of a podcast called Sand Hill Road. 
<laughs> well, I would start by saying, who do you want to attract? So if, you're, if your listeners are interested in tech, they're interested in Silicon Valley, sort of the latest innovation, they're going to know what Sand Hill Road is. So in general, I would say it's probably a good name. If you want to be more expansive and you know, less speaking to technologists, and you want to expand to say, these are people that are, that are just you know, a little more vaguely interested in like, what is going on with technology, but maybe they're not in the industry, then you would want to, exp- you would want to open it up a little bit and talk, you know, look, maybe it's the tech podcast or the innovative technology <laughs> or, so, or something like that. Oh, there are a million of those. Yes, yes. there are. <laughs> Jen Grant, CEO of Appify, securing an extension of her Series A in a pandemic. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.